Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova Said. I'm a host of New Books in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm delighted to speak with Ostap Ken, an editor and one of the translators of Babun Yar, Ukrainian Poets Respond, published by Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute in 2023. Ostap Ken is a translator and editor of the anthology New York Allergies which won the American Association for Ukrainian Studies Prize for Best Translation and is the co-translator of Sergei Jadan's A New Orthography and of Yuri Andrukovich's Songs for a Dead Rustem. Hello, Ostap, and thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, hello, Natalia, and thank you very much for having me. So could we start with some history? The preface contextualizes the selection of poems in terms of history, culture, and memory. Uh, what background were you seeking to provide and amplify? Uh, so I will probably start off by uh, telling a little bit how it all um, happened. Uh, several years ago, I uh, embarked on a new project, and that project was uh, the following. I was and still am um, putting together, editing, and compiling an anthology of Ukrainian Jewish poets. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a very long time, and I was thinking how all kinds of Jewish themes are being uh, depicted, portrayed, discussed in uh, poetry by Ukrainian Jewish poets written in the Ukrainian language. And as I was um, as I was uh, compiling um, poems, I uh, realized that one of the key, one of the central um, topics is the uh, topic of the Holocaust. Uh, many poets throughout many decades uh, wrote about this, and um, no, no matter when it was, uh, no matter when. He, they were writing their poems, it still seemed like they tried to look for uh, a language or rather languages, how they can deal with that traumatic past. And of course, within that theme, the theme of the Holocaust, one of the most uh, significant was, was the topic of Baba Nyar. So uh, at some point I realized that actually there are so many poems that it might be worth trying and uh, coming up with a collection dedicated exclusively to the depiction of Baban uh, Yar tragedy. But I also wanted to include not only Ukrainian Jewish poets, but also Ukrainian poets. Those uh, who, uh, even though they had no uh, Jewish origin, still wrestled with the past with uh, with that uh, page of Ukrainian history, with that page of um, the history of the city of Kiev, 
and um, how um, they try to kind of um, understand and and um, portray uh, the past. Just the uh, brief uh, history note. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, in the West, the tragedy of Baban Yar is not always mentioned uh, when uh, we talk about the Holocaust and the Baban Yar massacre is also known as the Holocaust by bullets. Uh, it took place in 1941, um, just within within a day and a half, more than 30,000 uh, Jewish um, population of Kiev uh, was executed uh, and um, they were driven to the ravine um, by this uh, guise of just providing their passports in order to be registered and they didn't have any idea that uh, they will be uh, executed. And um, as you pointed out, um, the poets were responding to this uh, massacre over the years, although in a different way. And I was wondering how you structured the entire collection, because there are some similarities in terms of how poets were uh, probably looking for that language, as, as you put it, to talk about the uh, tragedy and to articulate that trauma but there are also some divergences as well in terms of how um of how we find the right words right in order to really um deliver that kind of pain that kind of wound i would say collective wound so uh, in other words um in what kind of strategy right did you prioritize to um to construct the collection i decided that um Probably uh, the yeah, uh, probably the most known uh, poem about Bab and Yar is uh, called "The uh, Ravine" or "Yar" by Mikola Bajan. Mm -hmm. It was written in 1943, more or less um, right after uh, Kiev was uh, freed by the Red Army and um, a group of Ukrainian um, writers probably including Mikola Bajan, were able to enter the city and actually um, uh, explore what has happened to the city during the um, uh, the past uh, two years when the city was under the German occupation. But uh, actually, as it turned out, that Baben Yar uh, was, uh, on, um, was something that poets were already thinking prior to that mm -hmm. and um, one of the most uh, fascinating moments was when I was able to discover that um, there were um, rallies uh, to um, uh, to raise uh, funds uh, to support the Soviet um, army and actually writers participated actively in that uh, in that rally and there were uh, several Ukrainian poets who wrote uh, poems, um, uh, and those poets were Paolo Tetrina, uh, Maxim Rilsky, and Volodymyr Susura, so the key Ukrainian Soviet modernist poets. And they, uh, their poems were all about uh, Jewish themes, and in my opinion, I think that it is it was very much influenced, impacted, by what they already knew about the Holocaust, uh, whether in the Soviet Union 
or in Eastern Europe in general. And it is very, it is very, very clear, for example, in a poem by Paolo Ticino. But even prior to that, I was able to locate one poem by Yakiv um, uh, Halperin, uh, who was uh, um, a young man, uh, a native of, of Kiev, um, who uh, wasn't able to um, leave uh, the city and who um, perished um, during the war there. But uh, his poem, quite surprisingly, was even published in one of the um, um, literary journals, of course, under this pseudonym. And it seems to me that um, as a poem written in the fall of 1941, it, it of course, couldn't mention, uh, couldn't have any direct references to Babanyar, but it seems to me that it is clearly influenced by what he experienced um, in the city, by his experiences of life uh, in the city of that time. Okay. Other than that, I also, um, so that was like my beginning, but another important moment is, of course, when um, the city is um, kind of, uh, again, under the control of the Red Army, and this is the uh, the late 1943, and uh, for a few years, for a few years, sometime until 1946, it's still possible to write uh, about uh, about uh, the war experiences with um, including Jewish themes, because I, right after 1946, it became uh, like it wasn't it wasn't you were not able to publish anything. And there is a huge gap from approximately 1946 and all the way till mid early 60s when again poets slowly are trying to wrestle with that past. Um, uh, they kind of um, and they are trying to bridge uh, the period they are living in with the period of the past. So 60s, the 70s, uh, of course, this is like the pages of Soviet century, and there are certain rules um, poets uh, have to use in order to be able to write. Of course, they do not uh, mention directly, right? But it's clear that this is about uh, Jewish uh, tragedy. And also, uh, e at the same time, we have uh, something else, completely something else going on in immigration, where uh, poets uh, are not subject to um, censorship or self-censorship. And um, some truly fascinating examples are poems by, for example, Marta Tarnowski or Ivor uh, Kaczurowski. Um, they uh, and this is again uh, interesting how how um, uh, they look um, at the tragedy because they look at it through a very personal lens rather than those Ukrainian Soviet poets who were not in Ukraine at that time most of them of course, like some of them were, but as, as young or very young uh, people, children, right? So this is a different kind of, of an experience. And then, of course, there is um, 
the uh, the um, um, period which we can call uh, late perestroika period, uh, early um, 1990s after the fall of the Soviet Union, when we deal with a totally new um, uh, realia, uh, re reality where you no longer have uh, these um, these restrictions, right? And uh, you have you can trace how words and in what ways they are approaching um, the topic. Uh, and one of the culmination, in my opinion, is of course Mariana Kianowska's book, The Voices of Baban Yar, um, in which she creates a new language or one of the languages, how we can talk about it. And um, and it's interesting also because um, Hamburg is or becomes an inspiration for another um, uh, for another uh, number of of poems about the Babylon tragedy. So you mentioned that this um, massacre wasn't present in the public space after 1946. And in general, the um, um, Soviet historiography considerably right shaped how the massacre was presented. So would you share your thoughts on why that massacre was not present in the public space and was delivered in some sort of a um, framework that would work for the Soviet historiography if it was mentioned? Yeah, I think that um, it might be worth saying that probably the mass murder of Jews actually was not uh, was not de denied in the in Soviet representations mm -hmm. of the war, and there were all kinds of projects, monuments, films, artworks uh, that were created. But uh, the idea is or was that uh, the official accounts did not want it to be affiliated or known as exclusively the Jewish catastrophe. Mm -hmm. It should have been labeled, according to the uh, authorities, as the tragedy of all mm -hmm. Soviet uh, citizens and um, that was quite quite, quite uh, some some core of this Soviet ideology when to some extent it's okay to say but on the other hand you know you cannot mm -hmm. and and this is another I think um, layer aspect um, important question um, that despite that, uh, poets um, nevertheless try to to write because poetry is a is a very reactive uh, form of art uh, comparing to the prose, which is you know a very long run. Mm -hmm. And um, the ways um, uh, the ways um, yeah, I think let's, let's stop it. <laughs> And um, you described this uh, collection as a way to find 
and present multiple languages of how um, the uh, Bob and Yar massacre can be talked about and presented. So maybe you have some specific poems that you would like to share today and maybe comment on those languages that these poems offer. But before we go into reading some of the poems, I just I wanted to mention, if we, uh, if I can, uh, a few things. So, when I'm uh, speaking about um, uh, when I mention languages, I mean uh, first of all, uh, the poetic languages, not languages as such, because uh, one of the ideas of this anthology was to actually come up with a Ukrainian language anthology of poetry about. Uh, Babanyar tragedy, because in the past, indeed, there were uh, other similar projects um, um, uh, published, but usually they would uh, consist of poetry written in Russian, poetry written in Ukrainian, and or uh, mostly Russian translations of uh, Yiddish poetry. So it was kind of like a, a triangular, a, a, a way of, um, which is, was also, I think, a great idea to see how different literary traditions, canons um, approach it. But there was no a single, uh, no, no individual volume dedicated exclusively to Ukrainian poetry. And it was like a challenge for me to see if we really, can we really have a volume like, like, like that? And also, uh, another thing that kind of sparkled um, or motivated me uh, to, um, to look um, in terms of a language is that uh, there is a, a number of um, English language um, anthologies uh, dedicated to the Holocaust writing in general. In po to poetry, prose, um, eyewitness accounts, um, some documents. And in most cases, uh, literature composed in Ukrainian is not included there. And it was another challenge for me and something I was um, something that was on my mind to see how actually if we have this volume now in English, we are able to compare how it what are the differences and similarities for example between the depiction of the holocaust in russian or the depiction of the holocaust in polish or in czech or in any other um eastern european um uh, languages and uh but yes let's talk about uh, some of the um poems and um, we can we can work. We can start with a poem by um, Leonid Cherevatenko, um, a Ukrainian poet, screenwriter, literary critic. Um, he of during his lifetime he published several collections of poetry. He also wrote screenplays um, for uh, documentary films, uh, edited several other volumes, and translated poetry. And this is, uh, this is a poem from 1966, 
And it's written, it's interesting because yeah, it's dated 1966 and it's also written Babanya, meaning the place where it was probably composed. And if I'm not mistaken, this is actually the only poem in the book that was actually finished and written there. It's called Michelangelo. Here's an amateur photo from the archives of fascism. Through a rotten ravine flows a slow river of pallid intertwined bodies. A hateful scene from Michelangelo. Naked women. Naked children. Naked disabled and old men. They all are shot in the neck, and among them men, like boulders in the middle of the field, their naked, gnarled hands among the disabled and children. They bury and can't bury men totally naked who were also shot in the neck a hateful scene from michelangelo so i this was uh, co-translated with uh, john hennessy um what is uh, interesting about uh, this poem is that it is mid-60s and the times are slightly different than where in the 50s you were able to write uh, something differently. And what Cherevatenko and, for example, also Ivan Drach, who is in the collection too, uh, what he is trying to do here this is an example of bridging the 1960s, the second uh, period of Ukrainian Soviet modernism. He is trying to link it with the, with the first wave of Ukrainian Soviet uh, modernism from the 1920s and 1930s, a period that was interrupted because of the uh, Stalinist uh, purges in the late 70s. And here, you know, uh, nothing is, uh, it's, this is an interesting poem in terms of how it's, how it's, um, structured. It has no, uh, punctuation marks except for one column. It has no commas or, um, um, periods. Um, it has no, um, uppercase letters. And this is uh, also a way that you do not know necessarily what it can be about unless you know that it was written in Babanyak. So this is like a coded language uh, which without those uh, tiny um, components you are an unable 
to uh, deci decide. Should I read one more? This one will be by uh, Mariana Kianowska from the collection The Voices of uh, Babel Gun, a, a, a collection that um, uh, was very well received uh, by critics. And uh, this is a way, uh, a totally different way of looking at the tragedy. Um, what she is trying to do is to look as actually many other poems, poets in this collection, right into the abyss, into this unknownness, a tragic, horrible unknownness, but using uh, other elements, names, um, features that uh, transmit a totally different, not a totally different, but transmit this message differently, openly. Mm -hmm. And here how it goes. Mm -hmm. Here is a ravine where Hans does his shooting. Here are the shells of bullets that are hitting us. Here are traces of a machine gun and footprints. Hans got tired and went silent. It is impossible that everyone, someone might have gotten up, someone might have run, but Kuno is spitting out another round and laughter. Here is Fritz near Rivka, some three wounds, but here is an engagement ring, earrings, everything is too small. Here is her golden face, all her life. Here is her big belly and a baby in her womb. Rivka hears everything even the heartbeat. Fritz shoots her in the belly and says, Garbage. Here is Albert, brother of the murdered Yona, a Jew. Here are two splinters from the door under his fingernails. Here is a red scar on his pale face. Sarah wails, let's go, let's go, let's go. He clung to the doorpost, grabbed onto the house. He wanted to live and die there. But here he is in the ravine and his relatives are with him. He is a torn, here is a torn sleeve actually a bit of the sleeve. Here is blood-stained soil and grass. Here are bodies and bodies and bodies and bodies. Here is young Miriam, who was happy. Here she is, being embraced by poor, small, 
that Sia, who warms her up with warmth without worms. Here is a thick and pink mist above the ravine. What um, is so different is that uh, you uh, have um, says so awake uh, Kianoska is trying to engage her readers directly with protagonists uh, who are um, part of that scene and these are both those who execute um, they all have names well at least we we uh, we have several names in the poem and we also have uh, those who were murdered and we also have their names and this is another um, way of how you can engage and highlight and emphasize uh, something that was not necessarily practiced for example in the poetry written during the Soviet decades. Well, uh, this uh, imagery is very powerful as uh, the um, uh, image of bodies in fact travels from I would say decade to decade and it's probably one of the images that actually repeats although some um, attitudes right or tones that uh, runs through the poems could be different but uh, in addition to uh, just complete a uh, brutal um, barbaric destruction of um, human beings there is also the sense of some moral destruction because in addition to um, shootings and killings uh, there is also an act of looting so and to me that even amplifies that kind of um, baseness of the acts that were uh, committed uh, on the one hand on the other hand there is even an intention to somehow create a verbal context for what is being performed as you um, um, read this poem by um, Ekianovska, the shooting a baby in the belly of the woman and saying garbage. So it, it even amplifies the kind of um, destruction, destructive force that is being um, brought um, to, to to, to the history of humankind in general so uh and uh, i was wondering uh i was wondering if there is any sense of responsibility for those acts because sometimes i read these po poems as uh witnessing the atrocities although there can be some um a time distance and there is some documentation, documenting, right? These poems document what happened. But uh, I'm wondering if there is any kind of um, gesture to provide answers and to give some uh, ways to process those absolutely um, horrific atrocities in these poems. You know, well, it's a probably... Um won't um you know prevent anything mm -hmm. stop anything but poetry is that medium that mm, i think might um, change or help 
something to change inside people. So they react that, you know, you read a poem, something clicks and you immediately approach this differently. It gives you a different feeling. It gives you a different idea. It gives you a different setting. It gives you a different um, understanding. And this is why, you know, the way how poetry works. So, um, and I think that many of the poems inside uh, included in this book, they kind of, the idea is that they, in a different way, are trying to say and uh, impact a reader through completely coded language mm -hmm. or more uh, open language, more openly um, and uh, raise awareness uh, to um, what um, happened uh, in Kyiv in 1941. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, Mariana Kianovska's um, book, uh, The Voices of uh, Bob and Yar, um, triggered some sort of inspiration, right, for um, other works. So would you briefly talk about uh, the current discussion, the current conversation around the Bob and Yar massacre um, in Ukraine and beyond? So, actually, I have uh, one uh, poem uh, in the anthology uh, written by um, Valeria Boloslavska, um, a poet, uh, but she is also a very known uh, translator from Yiddish uh, who compiled several very important anthologies of Yiddish language poetry. And actually, um, chronologically, her poem uh, goes uh, uh, right after um, Mariana's, and uh, I will read this one just to, uh, in a way, to uh, reply to your questions. What happens in Ukrainian poetry uh, about Baba uh, Yarnow? It's called for Mariana Kianovska in response to her book, The Voices of Babanyar. Mouth stuffed with bloody clay, our thirsty words broke through. I must, from the comet's sleepy orbit, a voice wrapped on the poet's stole. Through Babanyar, through the Kurenil villages, she made her way as though coming home, as if she clenched her soul in her fist, and as if she, she'd come to say, Speak for me, guess my decimated name. No. Oh. If you can embody me. And now we've become, sorry, and now you've become Miriam, not Marianne. You carry your 
aging deadly void to Babanyar, to the place of execution, to all those guardian and sister you've become. I think that uh, what we are going to see uh, in the future is um, that uh, the topic will be more and more uh, discussed and um, um, and I'm sure that it will be done in 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 new ways, in different ways, and um, because uh, it's also a very kind of important, significant um, urban tragedy, and one of the many themes in this book is also how the city of Kiev deals with this how the city's uh, topography, um, other geographical locations are structured and what is their relationship to the city. And in my, uh, somewhere in my introduction, I, I mentioned um, um, fragments from uh, the diary by Alexander Dovzhenko. He also one of, one of, was one of the first writers who um, who um, entered Kiev um, when it was freed, and he was shocked by what he saw. And it seems to me that for many many Ukrainian Soviet writers were in Kyiv, especially who were in Kyiv before the war and who returned after the war, it was an exceptional dilemma and 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 challenge how to live in the city that went through uh, such events. Uh, we should not forget that I think in 1939, on the eve of the war, almost 26. 25-26% of the city's population was uh, uh, Jewish. And um, that changed a lot after the war. And at the same time, what I also uh, wanted to uh, mention is uh, how, for example, um, you know, we are thinking about what, what uh, the future poetry about Bab and Yar might be, but uh, there are things uh, that there are works uh, written all the way all the way in the past who um, deserve some closer examination. For example, uh, a novel by Dokia Umenna, Khrushchate uh, Yar, um, which was published in uh, mid uh, 1950s in the in the United States is a um, striking example of how one can write about the Holocaust when you are not living in Soviet uh, Soviet country. And her example is also um, special because she uh, kept a diary during the war. And her novel is uh, based um, is based uh, on that on that uh, uh, on that uh, diary, so you know there is there are pl uh, 
some other important uh, texts in in the past that that deserve uh, uh, to be re-examined. We have to return to them and um, and and to talk. About mm-hmm. So, and at the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned that uh, uh, some poems were written by. Um, by poets who were in Ukraine and some poems were written by those who immigrated and the um, volume itself is compiled by you outside Ukraine, correct? So do you think that it would have been different if you were compiling this collection while being in Ukraine? Um, I. It seems to me I was able to. I mean, I try to uh, uh, to locate everything I was aware of. Although you are not always able to find everything, and for example, uh, I mentioned this in annotations. There are two poems. Um, which uh, I uh, I read about, but I couldn't find, and they deserve a, a footnote. Yes. And uh, one of them is a poem by um, Sava Volovanivsky, and uh, we don't know when it was written and when it was published, but we know that um, it is most likely called Avraham, Abraham, and we know about it because of the following. Um, in the late 40s, there were some really uh, outrageous and, and terrible um, anti-Semitic um, uh, uh, state-orchestrated uh, campaigns. Um, and Sava Volonievsky was one of the one of those who suffered from them. And uh, publicly he was criticized for writing this poem called Avraham Abraham, in which he depicted that a Jew was um was um was uh on the way to uh, Babanyar, but a Ukrainian and a Russian were basically bystanders, mm-hmm. were those citizens who uh, stood by the road and didn't do anything. So I did a lot of work, a lot of research. This is mentioned um, in several scholarly works but no one actually uh, quotes from the poem. So the the very first time when the poem was mentioned, I think it was in uh, sometime uh, in 1949. And I'm really curious. Uh, and I, you know, this is one of the poems which I was not unfortunately able to find. But um, maybe if I were based in Ukraine and I would have access to um, special collections and archives, newspapers published, you know, in 1945, 44, 46, maybe I would have been able to find. And the same is with a poem by Volodymyr Susura, who also, he went to 
1946 trials and um, he wrote a poem um, based on his experiences of being in, in a courtroom but I was able to find only several stanzas quoted in, in newspapers and again I was Unfortunately, I was not able to locate the whole poem. And this is another actually um, interesting uh, question of um, how these poems and uh, were published during the Soviet times and are not published actually. Often, you know, they would have appeared somewhere, especially those po poems in the written in the 40s, and they would not be republished throughout the the poet's uh, life only after you know uh, the poet was dead um, and his whole works collected works were put together and then it would have been uh, included right and it was already 80s so and uh, this is another way to kind of archaeological uh, exploration of the landscape where you are trying to um, excavate those poems and to um, bring them back uh, to the uh, uh, bring them back so we can you know continue this dialogue because um, it is also a way to think about how this uh, language was being um, put together because it's really hard you know uh, literature is uh, new literary works are often based on previous literary works but when they are unavailable there is a gap you know and there are way too many gaps when we are talking about the depiction of the holocaust in ukrainian literature even though we have works both poetry and prose you know it, but due to some reasons they are unavailable so and it's really hard to um you know, to especially deal with the uh, with the tragedy as huge uh, as as Bab and Yar when you don't have these previous uh, when do you you don't see these previous examples of how it was dealt with in the past. Yeah. And th this is one one of the ways. Yeah, yeah. And um, this is my my idea is that to some extent why my Mariana Kianowska's book is so powerful is that so she can kind of come up with a totally new language of dealing with the past and it was so powerful that it captures so much and it uh, and it spoke so clearly um, about uh, what was uh, what what happened in the past um, and it seems like that her um, her work is done in a way that the previous traditions were not necessarily taken into account. And this is so fascinating that like 70 years of writing about Bab and Yar were not taken into account, not necessarily taken into account, but still you come up with the language. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Ostap. And um, um, thank you for compiling this collection that really provides a background for a very complex texture 
of the uh, Baban Yar uh, massacre. And I do hope this book uh, will be included in reading lists of many courses because you can really approach this collection from different angles. There is some history there. Uh, there is, of course, some value of uh, um, culture studies and memory studies and trauma studies and, of course, uh, literary studies as well. And it can be part of Ukrainian literature course or any other literature that somehow focuses on uh, atrocities, crimes against humanity. So thank you so much for bringing this um, uh, outstanding uh, work uh, to Anglophone readers. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for your kind words and thanks again for having me. Today I spoke with Ostap Kin, or one of the translators and an editor of Baban Yar, Ukrainian Poets Respond, published by Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute in 2023. Thank you for listening to New Books Network in Ukrainian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. <laughs>